we're never going to be able to replicate the full benefits of exercise. Exercise has very many more beneficial effects on our cardiovascular system and lots of other organs on top of the effect that it has on our brain and on neurogenesis and, and this specific type of learning and memory. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Grey Matter. I'm Rebecca Archer. We've long known that physical activity improves our brain health, particularly in the areas of learning and memory as we age. But the mechanism that controls this beneficial relationship remains a mystery. At the Queensland Brain Institute, Dr Tara Walker and her team strive to understand how exercise generates a positive impact on the brain and how these effects may be replicated without exercise. Welcome, Tara. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Rebecca. Good to be here. So, Tara, let's start by getting a sense of exactly what your research looks at. I have a long-standing interest in understanding a process called adult neurogenesis. So this is the production of new neurons in specific areas of the adult brain throughout life. So most of us, when we were at school, probably learned that once we reach adulthood, our brains are fixed, that we can't get any new neurons uh, produced, we can only lose neurons. But it was discovered about 20 years or so ago that this is actually not the case, that there are a couple of the regions of the brain where new neurons are continuously generated throughout life. And one of these regions is called the hippocampus. The hippocampus is the part of the brain that's very important for very specialised learning and memory processes. Uh, One of these is, for example, uh, spatial learning and memory, so your ability to navigate yourself in your environment. Um, So the process of neurogenesis is very interesting. It unfortunately decreases a lot when we age, and this is associated with some of these particular learning and memory declines. However, the good thing about adult neurogenesis is that it can be actually boosted by quite a number of external stimuli. And the one that my lab is particularly interested in studying is exercise. So exercise is one of the strongest ways that we can increase new neuron generation in the hippocampus of our brain and consequently boost our learning and memory function. So it's known that when we exercise, new neurons or more new neurons are generated in the hippocampus, and this can lead to enhanced uh, learning and memory function. So interestingly, this was also discovered quite a while ago, but we really don't understand the mechanisms underlying how this is mediated. All we know is we exercise, we get more new neurons in the hippocampus, but sort of what happens in between is still a bit of a black box. So why and what types of exercise, I guess, are particularly important to be engaging in as we do get older? So we we study, obviously, all our experiments are done in mice, uh, so it's a bit hard to differentiate between different types of uh, exercise. But basically aerobic exercise, anything that's getting getting your heart beating, getting your heart rate up, So in mice, obviously, we study uh, running because mice love running. And when we give them, uh, it's all free free access to a running wheel. It's all voluntary running. So we give them a running wheel in their cages and they run very extraordinary distances each night. Mice run approximately 10 kilometres per night, which is equivalent of us running multiple marathons every, every day. So it's a great model to study this effect. We're probably... More than likely, we would see similar effects with other types of aerobic exercise. It's just much harder to study this in in animal models. 
And that makes sense. Now, you've also found selenium, a naturally occurring mineral in foods like Brazil nuts, can boost learning and memory and help with the impacts of stroke. What role does selenium play in creating neurons? We came at this from the running angle. We were, as I said, we were interested in understanding how exercise boosts neuron generation. And we sort of thought exercise is a, is a sort of full body systemic sort of action. And so there must be something going on throughout our bodies that is then sort of translated to our brain to tell our brains to the stem cells in our brains to start proliferating more and generate more new neurons. So we performed this study many years ago now where we actually just looked at what's changed in the blood after exercise. So we did a screen and looked at the proteins that were changed after exercise. Um, and this is how we came to selenium. We actually found that the most increased protein in the blood after exercise is this protein called CEP1 or selenoprotein P and it's the selenium transport protein. So it's basically the major transport protein that transports selenium in our blood and also is responsible for transporting selenium across the blood-brain barrier into the brain. So we thought, oh, this might be an interesting candidate to be one of the mediators of this exercise-induced increase in, in neurogenesis. So we started doing some experiments to see whether giving selenium alone could replicate some of the effects that we see when we performed the exercise. So we first tested whether selenium could increase, whether selenium alone could increase neurogenesis, and it could. It was very exciting. We um, infused some selenium directly into the brain um, of mice and found a massive increase in the both the proliferating cells and also the surviving newly generated neurons. And this was very exciting. Um, we also then went on to give it in the diet. So we thought, you know, if we want to ever translate this research, obviously um, infusing something directly into the brain is not the, not the best approach. So we wanted to try dietary delivery. So we delivered the selenium um, in the drinking water. And this also gave a significant uh, boost to neurogenesis. And we were then next interested, okay, because we could boost neurogenesis, could this also lead to improvements in cognition? So we did some experiments in aged mice where, as I said, neurogenesis decreases with age and this leads to a significant learning and memory deficit um, in the old animals. And basically, if we give selenium in the drinking water to these aged mice, we could almost completely rescue or significantly enhance their learning and memory function just through the dietary delivery of selenium. So it's quite an important finding, I would imagine, quite a breakthrough, really. And is there any sort of suggestion that human trials might be possible or how far away that might be? At some stage. So we, after the um, studies we did in the aged mice, we then turned to look at stroke as well. So my, my lab has also has an interest in, in stroke research. So we first tested the selenium, well next tested the selenium supplementation in um, a mouse, a couple of mouse models of stroke. And this is where the really exciting um, findings came from. We, in the stroke model, the, the mice also have a very profound learning and memory de deficit after the stroke. And when we give the selenium supplementation, we had two different groups, one where we pre-treated the mice with selenium or, and one where we gave the selenium after the stroke. And in both cases, we could completely reverse any of the learning and memory deficits and also all of the motor function deficits in one of the other models of stroke where they get a profound motor deficit. We could completely rescue all of these deficits in the uh, selenium-treated mice. 
And from a translational point of view, this was very exciting because not only the pretreatment group where we gave selenium before the stroke, but also when we gave selenium after the stroke, in a couple of hours after the stroke, we saw essentially the same effect. So looking down the road from a translational point of view, that was very exciting because obviously you can't predict necessarily if someone's going to have a stroke um, and give them big doses of selenium. Uh, obviously, clinical trials will, is something we'd love to do at some point, but that's probably still quite some years away because we have a lot of sort of preclinical testing that we'd need to do before this to looking at dosing and timing and all these type of things. Are you able to give us a bit of a description as to how the body absorbs or takes up selenium? And is there such a thing as too much of it in the body? So we take in selenium through uh, the food and the water that we drink. So selenium's interesting. It's a trace element that's found in the soil and it enters the food chain either via plants through the soil via, uh, via plants, which we then eat, or animals that eat the plants and then we eat the animals. So um, it's basically entering our body through the, through the food chain. Different places around the world actually are very interesting and have different selenium levels in their soil. And it's somehow, I'm not exactly sure the details, but it, it's linked to the volcanic activity of the region as to how much selenium is in the soil of that country. Australia is fairly okay with its selenium levels. Um, so people living and eating produce in Australia have decent selenium levels. But there's, it's known that selenium levels in our body decrease with age, but it's not known why. So normally, uh, normal young healthy people probably don't need to take selenium supplements, but it's, it's probably worthwhile thinking about it as we age. But it's certainly in conditions of neurodegeneration, such as stroke or other neurodegenerative conditions, it, it might be a, a good approach, but obviously this needs further, further investigation. And uh, I think probably an obvious question would be, is uh, there some sort of chance that in the future selenium supplements mean we can just stop exercising altogether? <laughs> no, this is a question I always get asked and I would, I would say no. So I would say that we're never going to be able to replicate the full benefits of exercise. Exercise has very many more beneficial effects on our cardiovascular system and lots of other organs on top of the effect that it has on our brain and on neurogenesis and, and this specific type of learning and memory. So I would never advocate for people to just take selenium and not exercise. However, for people that can't exercise, for example, someone that's just had a stroke or someone that's very elderly or frail and wants to take selenium supplementation, then I think this is the instances where I think it could be very beneficial and where we can't exercise and we want to at least get some of the benefits of exercise. You've mentioned that this work is predominantly done in mice. So how do you assess learning and memory in mice? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Obviously, mice can't tell us what they're learning, so we have to use ways that we can assess this. And so we predominantly look at spatial learning and memory. So as I mentioned, this is like how uh, we can navigate in space using... Uh, particular cues um, in our environment. So we test this in mice using a number of different mazes and things. So one of the ones that we really use is called, for example, the active place avoidance test. And in this test, mice have to avoid a particular zone of this arena that's rotating, and they have to avoid a particular zone of this. 
And they use basically spatial cues that are placed around the room to avoid this zone where they receive a very, very small shock. It's like a, like a zap when you get static electricity. So it doesn't hurt them, but they just they get a bit startled and they have to learn to avoid this like region of maze. And they're really, actually really good at learning this task. So we just teach it to them over a couple of days. And they can really use the, the spatial cues around the room to, to navigate themselves in this task. We also use a couple of other um, spatial learning and memory tests, for example, um, one's called the Y maze. So it's a Y-shaped maze and we put them in one arm and we have one arm open and one arm closed for the first test and they get to, just get to explore it. And then on the second day, we open both arms and it's basically based on their preference to explore new places. So we basically then just assess how much time they spend investigating the novel arm of the maze compared to the arm that they'd already explored the day before. And then we have other similar tests to that, for example, called the novel object recognition test. So we have a box that has two objects in it. The mice get to explore those two objects for 10 minutes. And then the next day we put them back in the same box, but one of the objects is changed to a different object. And then you basically assess the mice for how much time they spend investigating the new object as composed to the object that they've already seen the previous day. And the mice really do, if they have a good learning and memory function, they really do spend more time assessing these novel objects or novel arms in the maze, etc. So it's actually a, quite a robust test for really assessing this type of spatial learning and memory function. Tara, with international colleagues, you received National Institute's health funding to investigate the systematic mechanisms of brain rejuvenation. Can you tell us a bit about what you aim to show in this study? Yeah, so this study is not related to our selenium work, but it's still related to our understanding how exercise affects their brain. And we've got a couple of other candidate factors that we identified from this initial um, proteomic screen of the blood of the exercising mice. So where we identified selenium, we also identified another candidate factor. And this uh, funding is to investigate one of these other factors, specifically in a model of Alzheimer's disease. So we're, we're going to look at whether some of these exercise-released factors can uh, improve some of the cognitive and histopathological outcomes in Alzheimer's disease. Is there potential to translate that research into a therapy to help restore age-related cognitive decline? Definitely. I mean, this is something that we would definitely like to look at down the track. Um, in the case of selenium and in the case of our other proteins that we're looking at, then that, that's definitely something that we hope to be able to do down the track. And Tara, you were one of the first researchers who joined the Queensland Brain Institute when it opened in 2003. I wonder if you could just maybe reflect on what you remember from those early days and perhaps how things have changed. Uh, yes, I was one of the first people recruited to QBI after they moved up from, after Perry Bartlett, the director at the time, moved up from Melbourne with a, with a couple of the group leaders. Um, back then, the institute was very small. I think we were maybe 20 people in total, including students and, and group leaders, and it's certainly grown a lot um, over the last 20 years, I guess, since it's been uh, established. I, I, I was away. I obviously haven't been here for the whole 20 years. I moved to Germany for eight and a half of those years and was lucky enough to be recruited back to QBI in 2018. So I've been back now for just over four years. And yeah, it was it was a, a big change to come back to such a huge institute. Obviously, when I left, it was probably about half as size as it, as it is now. And it's it's grown significantly even in the last 12 years since I initially left. 
and yeah, it's it's a great place to work. So many um, different groups doing very interesting and fantastic science. How does it compare to working in a place like Germany? Is it very different, the research culture, I guess, in Australia compared to a European country? The institutes are all... I mean, the institutes there are great. I worked at a great institute there. Um, I worked at an institute that wasn't a brain institute, so that was quite different that I noticed... It was a, um, a regenerative medicine institute, so there was only a couple of groups working on the brain and other groups working on all sorts of other organs, other systems. So that was also quite good in a way to get a broader knowledge of regenerative medicine rather than this neuroscience, but it's also great being back in a neuroscience institute where all of my colleagues are interested in the brain. I've been very, very grateful to be able to start my lab here, um, back at my sort of home institute where I where I came from originally, yeah, it's been a been a very hectic but great four years. Um, the lab's going strong now. We've had a couple of really exciting breakthroughs in the last few years with some good publications, and as you mentioned, the the NIH funding that we that we just got to hopefully keep our research um, going along for the next five years. My goals for the next 20 years, I guess, would be to to really try and translate one of these factors to something that we could actually eventually deliver to, to, to humans. I'd love to be able to use or to be able to have selenium being a, being a stroke therapy. Um, it's such an easy and inexpensive substance to, to deliver like at the, the bedside almost like because it's um it doesn't need it can be given in the diet it can be given you know in the ambulance or whatever so I think it has a lot of potential and I'd love to really see this to be one day something that could be actually translated and, and useful for for treating stroke as I said I've been now investigating neurogenesis and and this type of work for almost 20 years so I love it and I've definitely come to the exercise angle because personally I'm, I'm really into exercise, I love running and that's why what originally drew me to this part of the, the research that we, that we run in my lab. As I said, I've always for the last 20 years been investigating neurogenesis but probably the last 10 years or so been really, really focusing on understanding how exercise affects this. I would imagine that's a bit of a gift really because, you know, we're always told find what you love doing and, you know, then it won't be a job. It won't feel like work. And if you have a passion for exercise and you're obviously doing this area of study, it must just be a dream to come to work and and do the study. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just really love to – I really love these experiments because I'm always have always been really curious about how exercise affects the brain and just to be able to spend my my career investigating this is is fantastic. Tara it's been great to speak with you thanks so much for your time today. Thanks Rebecca. If you'd like to learn more or support the work we do here at the Queensland Brain Institute head to qbi.uq.edu.au. I'm Rebecca Archer and that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. 